If uh, you have missed any of the th- previous three and what we're talking about today interests you, and I'm going to speed through a couple of things, and if you're like, wait a second, hold on, I need to hear more of that, then you can go to the website, eastlaketricities.com slash talks. We've got video stuff and audio podcasts and an iTunes thing you can subscribe to and catch up on this, but it's been a series about fresh beginnings, and the goal idea uh, behind the series is that I want you to be really, really good at beginnings in life, because at some point in life, there are always endings And some of them are voluntary. Some of them are just the changing of seasons. Uh, And then some of them are involuntary. And specifically those involuntary ones when it was not your opinion, uh, you you liked your job, um, but then it was just not extended to you, continued uh, on, or that relationship was going great, uh, and then you got dumped. Uh, And so now you're back on the market, and you're back doing your thing, and you're back trying to figure out how to make this thing work. And so it's, it's always, it's new beginnings, it's new relationships, it's new this, new this, new this. And uh, anytime specifically that things don't go the way that we wanted, we look at it and we think to ourselves, I want to do whatever it takes to make sure that next time does not end up like last time. So that's been kind of the point of, uh, of this series, because a lot of times it's not enough. It's not enough for us to say, well, this time I'm more experienced. Um, experience only makes you older. It does not necessarily make you better, right? Uh, we said it's not enough to say, well, I know better this time. We, we knew better last time, and we did it again. We, it doesn't matter. Knowledge sometimes does not translate into proper action, uh, right? We know that with our diet. We know that with life in general. And then we said it's that we have a, a fear of time or this, this thing that the, like the clock is ticking, and, and we're, we're so aware of everybody else's phase of life because of social media, and we know where everybody stands, and it's always just we're always racing. We're just go fast. Where are we going? It doesn't matter. Just do it, you know? And, and that speed sometimes causes us to make really stupid choices when it comes to relationships. So all of those things factor into the idea. And so <clears throat> what we said was really in order uh, to make sure that next time is, is different than the last time, a uh, couple of things that are important are number one, owning it. And we said that, um, that every time that you are, take time to evaluate what went wrong, what was, what was the problem in the breakdown? We created what's called the pie chart of blame. Now, this is, you didn't know this, but you attend a really high-tech church. Um, so this is just one example. We came up with the, the fancy uh, pie chart of blame, which is basically when you think back to your last fiasco and tragedy, who's to blame in that? And you have some options. One option is it's like a 50-50 deal, right? Like it's partly me and it's partly not me. Part of it was the company I was working for and they had these job description that just didn't match up with what reality was or partly was I didn't know she had an addiction thing. I didn't know that she was this way. I didn't know that <clears throat> all I knew was the pictures on Facebook looked pretty good and then she, she a bit crazy after that. So then we got to there's, there's some choices on there, right? So that's an option. Uh, this one is a little bit better, right? We go, all right, nobody ever says I took half the problem. More likely, we're like, I, I mean, I had a bigger piece to play than, than, than that. But for the, you know, the majority, 75% of it, it was not my fault. It's not my fault. Not my fault. Blame thing. And then this is actually a picture of like true reality for us. This is how we t- typically operate, right? She's an idiot. You know, I'm not perfect. That's how we look at this thing. Uh, and we say, when, when I evaluate what I went through and took uh, a piece on, uh, this is, tendence, this is a, a, the tendency as to how we live and how we tend to operate. Um, it's not really my fault. In fact, it's not even close to my fault. If you knew my story, that's, that's what you say to, to guys like me or, or, or your friends. If you knew my story, and then we go out to coffee and your story's tragic. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're right. You are right. There are so many external factors as to why this happened in this way. Well, what are you going to do about any of that? So we said owning it is really the only way to move past it because until you own it, when you choose to blame, blame allows you 
to point to all of the things that are not you and allows you to smuggle in your insecurities, your flaws, and your shortcomings into the next thing. And if you never really take the time to own it, don't be surprised when next time looks a lot like this time. And then uh, last week, we talked about the idea of rethinking it. And when it comes to rethinking it, and and my voice was completely uh, shot last week, and so this might be all new information. You were even here, but it sounded like the Peanuts teacher. So anyways, here's what I meant to communicate last week. Uh, Every once in a while, when when tragedy happens, you pause and you ask yourself the question, what was I thinking? But you do it in such a way that it's almost rhetorical, and then you never give yourself enough time to actually come up with an answer, and you just move on. And that's not good enough. To ask yourself the question, what was I thinking, is not good enough. You need to come up with an answer. What I was thinking was, and then, and then explain it. And you're not going to like sometimes the answer that you come up with. That, the goal is not to you know, cater to your own preferences or say things that you like about yourself. The goal is to actually come to the reality of, what was it that I was thinking? Why did I get there? Because until you realize what you were thinking, you're not going to change. But you, you, know, you shouldn't be surprised when nothing changes about it. <clears throat> so then we said this week is going to be all about releasing it, releasing it. So own it, rethink it, release it. Own it, rethink it, release it. When you face into, when you come up to a new beginning, it would be to your benefit and in my belief to own it, to rethink it, and then to release it. Just like owning your piece of the pie uh, allows you to smuggle, or just like refusing to allow, just by choosing to blame, allows you to smuggle your issues into your future, not dealing with the things that have happened to you, the external factors, the bigger piece, the, the self-admittedly bigger piece. If you choose to never deal with that, then what happens is you allow that person or that thing that happened to you to continue on, just like you smuggle your issues in, you're smuggling that person or that influence onto you into your next problem. If you've never released it, if you keep holding on to it, because it feels good to kind of have something to be like a chip on your shoulder, because, you know, I, I, I just can't let go of it. I, I refuse to forgive somebody in this way. If you carry that in, it's going to influence your future relationships. And who wants to allow those who have hurt them the most to continue to have influence on your future? That's a rhetorical question. We know it's, it's ridiculous to even think about that. Why would you want somebody who has hurt you to continue to influence you in the future? You don't. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants the people who created the chaos in our lives to have influence in our future. <clears throat> and yet, if we refuse to deal with it, if we refuse to release it, then we should not be surprised when it does. The only way to avoid it is to deal with the bigger piece of the pie. And so I'm going to talk to you quickly. I want to introduce two, they, they feel like insensitive questions. If you and I were out to coffee and you were spilling the beans on all of the external things that have happened to you and why, 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 why you're this way and why you're struggling, why it's an, an uphill battle for you, um, I, because I'm non-confrontational, I hate conflict, I would just sit there and be like, oh man, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, right? That's my personality. I would want to say, and any good counselor would ask you a few things, but I, I, but I can't do it in the context of that setting, so I'm gonna do it in the safer context of this setting where we're all just looking at this objectively and thinking through this, right? So listen to the, these questions and then you'll see what I'm talking about. Number one is uh, two insensitive questions I can never ask you in the moment. How far into your future... Do you intend to carry the angst created in your past? So in other words, you're here, you're telling me all about what he did, 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 what he did. did. And then I go, "Mm -hmm, wow, sounds terrible. Hey, um, quick question. How long is this going to bother you? 
and you'd be like, you are a jerk. I know. That's why I'm terrible at counseling, right? So this is, this is not, this is, but this is such a, listen, if you're not going through something right now, and there's no, and the emotional temperature of your life is at like a low, like a base, then this question somewhat makes sense to you. And you've, you've heard people continue to continue to struggle and continue to not get past something. And you kind of want to ask them the same question. How long is this going to be a problem for you? Like how long, how long are you going to allow this to continue to be a problem? That's, that's a better question than how long is this going to affect you? Because it might affect you forever, but how long are you going to choose to allow this to be, uh, and, and angst is probably not the right word. It's like anger, hurt, pain, that kind of stuff. Question number two, it looks similar, but it's really not. How long do you plan to allow the people who mistreated you to influence you? How long do you plan? What do you mean? Like pull out a calendar? Yeah, like pull out your phone, turn on iCal and be like six months, six months to the date. I'm going to put a date on there and be like, stop caring about what so-and-so said about me. How long? And it feels insensitive at the moment. It feels like it wouldn't make any sense. But what I'm trying to tell you is if, sometimes if we don't put this date on it, it feels impossible. It feels out of reach. And it feels like this just ongoing thing. And then we never force ourselves to deal with it. And then we find ourselves doing or allowing that same pain or allowing that thing to continue to affect other and influence other relationships or other dynamics in, in what we're trying to do with our new job and our new wife and our new this. And and all of a sudden we go, man, I'm just, I'm just a mess. And I keep lugging around. I keep lugging around all this hurt, this pain, and this angst into these new things. Have you ever met somebody who was able to move on from something significant in their past? In fact, move on to the point where you didn't know about it. You had this perception of them that they had it all together, that they lived this really great life. And you come to them with some baggage and some things and some hurt and some pain. And you're like, and you wouldn't even know this. You know, you wouldn't know because you're living like this perfect life. And, and then they drop this bomb on you and they show you a picture of what they used to look like. Or they talk to you about rehab and what that was like, or losing this or losing their job or doing this. And in your mind is like, like you, like how, how did, how did that not affect you now? You're looking at them in the way that they're living their life now. And you're thinking, man, I would never guess. And the moment you leave, you call somebody on the drive home and you're like, did you know this about them? You would never know by talking to them. How long have we known them? We've known them for six months. We've known them for five years and we didn't know this piece of their past. Can you imagine what it would take to get over that? I came to them with this small thing I'm not able to get over. And then they, now I feel like I'm, a, I'm an idiot because they're so good at this. How, how? And that's the question that we always want to ask those types of people. How did you do it? How did you get past it? How were you able to like get your mind right in that way? How are you able to overcome the struggles and the burdens that are so often associated with this kind of stuff? And whenever you ask that question, because I, I, I like asking those people that questions, because I, I want to I know, not that I feel like I've had this really hard life and this, if you only knew my story, like that kind of thing, but I, I, but I hear those stories a lot. And so I'm, trying, I'm always like, help me, help me understand how you did it so I can talk to some people and offer more, because I don't want to be insensitive and ask these two questions, even though I know I should. I, I want other better wisdom in that way. And anytime I feel like I ask the question to these people, so what, what was it? What was the light bulb moment for you? How did it change. In certain like words or context, there's, there's a few things that kind of shine through. There's a few decisions that they said. It, it feels like every time I talk to them, they say these words in some way, shape, or form. 
You know what? Eventually, I decided. Eventually, I got to the point where I decided, I made a conscious decision I was not going to allow this to continue in this way. That if we're going to deal with this, we are going to deal with this on my terms. And I'm going to approach this and I'm going to, I'm choosing to refuse to allow this to fester and allow myself the opportunity to drag this in to future relationships and to future opportunities. They would say things like this. My past reminds me, but it does not define me. Now, I haven't had somebody say those exact words, but, in, but as I think through those, 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 uh, those conversations, that's what stands out to me, that kind of thinking. My past reminds me, like I'm not in denial of it. I may not like um, post it and lead with it in terms of conversations. Uh, it, it may take a little bit of digging, but I, I, I don't live with the denial of it. My past reminds me, but I refuse to let it define me. Or they'll say things like this. I decided there was enough pain in life. I'm not going to drag that along with me the rest of my life. It just didn't seem to be worth it. Or, or it'll sound like this. Release the past so the past can release you. Now, here's the deal. Uh, this sort of sounds a little bit self-help-ish a little bit, okay? And I get that. I understand that. Because we're in a church, so you're like... Um, this sounds really great, but we should be talking about Jesus and Paul and everything else. And this sounds like this sounds like Paul at the gym. That's who this sounds like. This doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul. This sounds like the dude who used to weigh 400 pounds and then all of a sudden started drinking shakes. And now nothing shakes on his body when he runs. And I, how do I get that? That's what I want, right? So uh, th- th- I understand that, right? I get that. There's a, there's a tension here with all of this. The religious term for this, and this is not going to be like all that insightful. You, you've heard this before, but the religious term for choosing to kind of let go of this and not allow your past to influence your past or your future or whatever is this idea of forgiveness. And we've heard messages on forgiveness. Um, if you've been around church for any length of time, if you've been around Eastlake for any length of time, we've done series on forgiveness and they're usually really painful and really tough. And, and it's the, the emotional temperature of a topic like this rises just in bringing the topic up. Like if I talk about money, everybody thinks logically and rationally about it. As soon as I start talking about forgiveness, all of a sudden there's like this, oh, this baggage from my past that gets going. And oh, you know, everything is always, well, let me tell you, let me set the context for you. Let's talk about this. And I've got my own side of the story and there's always two sides. And I, I get all of that. But we know, we know if we're any sort of religious, that there's some sort of a calling to forgive Forgiveness, we've heard this phrase before maybe, allows us to leverage the lessons of the past without lugging around the luggage of the past. We leverage the lesson. Forgiveness, when done properly, allows us to remind ourselves about our past, but it doesn't define ourselves about our past as well. So there's this incredible passage on um, forgiveness by a guy named Paul, not Paul from the gym, the guy who doesn't shake when he runs, but the other guy, the guy who planted a bunch of churches uh, in uh, like basically Greece and, uh, and uh, like the, this Western part of Eurasia type thing. Um, and he would go and a lot of times start and then leave and then write correspondence back and forth to him. And one of them was a city called Ephesus. It was more like a region, actually. Ephesus was a, a city, but it had several surrounding things. And so he basically wrote this one letter and it was intended to be a circular, which basically means I'm going to write it, but I'm going to do it very general. Sometimes he would write to Galatians and they would be specifically addressing issues within that church or Colossians or whatever. But Ephesians was written. So it's like, I'm going to write this, but it's, it's a general enough to where once you're done reading it, would you make a copy of it? 
it and pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to somebody else. And so, um, and Ephesians is one of the uh, most, uh, the, the friendliest books of the New Testament to read. If you are a type A, I like things in order. I like things clean and concise and I need them to make sense. Um, and the reason why is because there's six chapters in Ephesians and the first three chapters focus on, it's what's called the, who, our identity in Christ. So who we are in Christ. Um, and then the last three chapters are admonitions to what it takes to let live that out. Here's what life in Christ would look like. Um, so it, there's like, and there's a clear transition in chapter four, verse one, as a prisoner of Christ, therefore live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So you've received this great calling. I'm not going to give you um, admonitions or commands before you know who you are. But once you know who you are, again, addressed to Christians, by the way. So if you're not a Christian, this is like free past Sunday, but uh, you get to just, just a chance to hear in. But if you are, then here's what life would then look like. Because a lot of times we think um, if, you, if you flip that around and if you give people admonitions before you remind them of who they are, then all the admonitions are, are try harder. If you guys would just try harder, if you guys, you guys could do this if you just work harder at it. And he's like, no, 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 this should be a natural outflowing of what somebody whose life is found in Christ, this is what their life would look like. So this is not an admonition to try harder. It's just like when you're in Christ, this is what it looks like. Right? So that's, that's the context of this, and he's talking about forgiveness. Verse 26, we're going to jump in. I mentioned that the transition takes place at chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, we're a few verses ahead of that. He's talking about um, community in Christ, and he's talking about the church, and he's talking about how the inevitability of conflict, anytime two or more people are gathered, there will be conflict. Um, and so uh, how do you resolve conflict in light of uh, you know, our, our, new, our new relationship in Christ? And so he goes on, he says this, <clears throat> in your anger... Do not sin. This is verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Now, there's really two pieces of this. There's two imperatives. One is be angry and do not sin. Um, and this is, this is tough because we a lot of times think that anger is something we should avoid at all costs. Um, it, it doesn't show up in the list of the fruits of the Spirit later on in Galatians, like love, joy, peace, patience, anger, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith. It'd be like a weird, that doesn't fit. One of these things is not like the other thing, right? Uh, and yet here, he assumes that at some point in life, there will be something that angers you in frustration. So he's not saying don't be angry. The, re the reality of what he's saying is at times life requires you to be angry. But when you are angry, do not sin in the middle of that anger. And the quote, he actually is pulling from a uh, psalm, one of the psalms, Psalm chapter four, verse four, where David is falsely accused of something and then is like writing out basically a poem or a prayer to God about, God, I want you to vindicate me because I have been unjustly accused of something. If you've ever been justly accused of something, I've done something wrong and somebody called me out on it, it you like react in anger. You're like, ah, well, who are you to blah, 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 blah. But imagine when somebody calls you out and you know that you're innocent. If you've ever been accused of something at work that you know you're innocent for, that's the kind of that righteous indignation that comes up. You're like, ah, I am dude, I am so mad right now because I have not done a thing to deserve this and I can prove this and the yada, yada. So he's like, I get it. That's the kind of anger that he's pulling from. In that sort of anger, when you are in that emotional temperature is rising like crazy, do not sin. And then he goes on, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Those who are in Christ do not allow their sin to, to or do not allow their anger to fall into sin, and they do not allow their anger to linger. 
And he pulls this phrase, uh, don't let the sun go down when you're so angry, which was um, a, an actual, it's like a, a phrase from a guy named Plutarch. It was a, a Greek philosopher type thing. And so he's, he's pulling from exterior non-Christian philosophy saying, um, they had this saying where don't let the sun go down. We're gonna join hands together and, and, and make things right. And it did not mean physical sunset. I used to think this, I think, when we first got married. Because all of a sudden, like, you're sleeping in the same bed with somebody, and then and you're married, and so, like, you fight every once in a while. Like, I know it's hard to believe if you're single, but you do. And, and, uh, and I used to think that, um, like, I would be lying there, and I'd be so mad. Something took place, and I, I rolled to one side, and it's, and it's over there. I'm like, good night. And you say that in a way that you're like, I don't want to talk about this anymore, right? And then this phrase, because I grew up in church, and so my dad was a pastor, and so these, I grew up in youth group too, and so this, this kind of phrase would always come out, and, and I'd be like, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. And then I'd be like, you know, you'd have to like, I'd feel obligated to like roll over and be like, all right, we probably need to talk about this. And actually, she'd be the one usually that would, she's way better at that than me. But um, that's... That's not technical. Like, I don't think he is like a literal do this. I, I think what he's trying to say is um, it's a matter of expediency. Don't let this kind of stuff linger. This is, he's using hyperbole. He's using a, 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 an image of a sun setting and saying, don't let that happen before you do this. In other words, there's no value in letting this kind of thing linger. And, and that's what we know. We know that it doesn't get better. We think it'll be better tomorrow. But by tomorrow, all we've done is spend an entire 24 hours thinking through all of the ramifications of this. And what if I said this? And maybe he'll do this. And what if this? Oh, and by the way, this was probably because of this. And we add things to it and it only gets worse and it only gets uglier the whole way that it happens. So, because I know this, the reaction that we all have when we hear a phrase like this or a verse like this, especially if you're like not a Christian, you're going, but yeah, there are some things that require more than one sunsets. There, there are a few things that have happened to me that I, I just can't resolve in 24 hours or less. Like that, it's just not a reality. I get it. I understand. I think what he's trying to say is how many more sunsets before you choose to deal with your anger? He's bringing to the light the fact that time is, a, time is an issue. And that choosing to leave it ambiguous as to when this will get resolved is only an, healthy, an unhealthy move for you that will allow that thing to continue on and smuggle it into your future opportunities and relationships and experiences. You're destroying yourself by refusing to set a date. So it goes back to that insensitive question, how long are you going to let that person or that thing influence you? He goes on, uh, don't let the sun go down when you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, Two words in there that are of importance. Uh, one is devil, one is foothold. You, uh, you really want me to talk about devil thing? I, I will in, in a moment, but foothold first. Foothold is like that word there. It's like a, a place, a, a staging area, an arena. It, it means more, uh, you know, Im- immediately we think of like a rock climbing thing and I need a place to be able to put my foot so that I can rest for a moment so that I can use it to launch. But it, it has, it, it, that is included in that, but just it's bigger than that. It's like, a place to set up camp and do this and, and a place to kind of call home for a moment. Now, the devil, the word that he uses there is diabolos, which in the Greek could, it, it, it primarily means slanderer or accuser. He uses many words uh, for, uh, primarily he uses a different word to talk about Satan or in that word, there's a word that is associated with that. But in this word, that's not what's going on here, which led a lot of people, including Martin Luther and myself, to think that what he's saying here is not the devil as in the guy in the red jumpsuit and the pitchfork and all that kind of stuff to have a foothold. 
in your life. While that may be true, perhaps a better interpretation, one that I think is more accurate, is that person who is accusing you or slandering you. If you let the sun go down, if you let time continue to run and run and run and you don't set a date, and for you, it's just, it's just until eternity, I'm just gonna have harbor this resentment and bitterness and rage and malice and envy towards this person. What you're allowing them to do is have a foothold in your life. So a better way of reading this would probably be, um, don't let the sun go down when you're so angry and don't give Frank a foothold in your life or whoever it is that offended you, whoever it is that made you angry. Like the personification of a person in that moment is probably a better way of using this verse in that way. He jumps down a few verses later, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness is like this longstanding, I I constantly think of uh, ways in which you fail and I succeed. (laughs) Um, I replay these things in my mind. I replay scenarios about me getting it right. And, you, and, and, and saying something in response, and I, I haven't said it in person, but I, I'm, I'm playing that through in my mind. Rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. This is where he transitions this idea of kind. Instead of choosing those things, instead of letting your life, um, instead of your, uh, allowing your life to be overrun by bitterness, rage, malice, slander, all that kind of stuff, somebody who is in Christ, Ephesians chapter one through three, somebody who understands that their identity is now different, finds themselves being consumed by kindness, compassion, and forgiveness towards another person. And forgiveness in this case, the best way to read this word forgiveness here is this idea of pardoning. Now, we know what pardoning is. Pardoning is essentially a, like a court term, a legal term where the offender is absolutely guilty. You are absolutely guilty, but I or we or whatever authority I have are choosing and deciding not to hold you accountable. That's what pardoning means. You're guilty. This is not an absence of guilt. This is not a, well, the evidence isn't there to suggest and we're not really sure and we don't have due evidence. There's, there's questions in the back of our mind. We're pretty sure, but it's, we're not sure. This is, no, no, no. Guilty as charged, but I'm choosing not to administer justice in the area. The only way to break the chain between what's been done to you and your future is to pardon. I want to say that again because you're like, wow, but what about, listen, the only way to break the chain between what's been done to you and your future, if you don't want the next time to feel a lot like the last time, is to choose to elect to pardon that person, not to justify what they did to you, not to excuse them, not to admit there's just not enough evidence to prove it, but instead to choose to say you are fully guilty. Even if you don't, aren't aware of it and agree to that, <laughs> from my perspective, fully guilty, and yet I am choosing not to hold you accountable. I know if I heard your story, we would both agree, but they don't deserve that. But if you only knew, Brent, they don't deserve it, I would say absolutely they don't. But God thinks that you don't deserve to allow that to continue because it's going to f- affect and influence your future relationships. God doesn't want that for you. 
So he says, pardoning, pardoning is so much better for you. And he finishes this phrase, and this is quite possibly the turning point. This is, again, the reminder of our identity, identity in Christ, and this is the foundational. How is this even possible, right? Because at this point, um, there are some things that you're playing through your mind, or you know some people who've had some things done to them where you're like, that sounds good in theory, but my, just in practical measures, it's just impossible for this. Wait until you hear the story. I, I get it. Here's what he says. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, in other words you are the recipient of a pardon on your life, that God refuses to look at you through the lens of your sin, but instead offered you pardon. You and I are absolutely guilty, but he chose not to hold us accountable to that. Another way of saying it, your future relationship with God isn't shadowed by your past sin. Pardon as if you have been pardoned. Once you are fully aware of the grace that has been extended to you, then you realize when you are called to be a dispenser of grace, that then me, influences me and allows me and enables me. Only that and only that can enable me to forgive and, not, and forgive in the sense of pardon what has been done to me. Now, anytime I do a series like this, I always have to provide some sort of a little caveat because um, I'll get an email or somebody will be like, I, I got to talk through this. I got to process through this because what has been done to me has been, is like, I, I, I feel bad even talking about it. I feel bad even bringing it up, right? So a question comes up, what if they broke the law and what they did to me? My response, as your response should be, if you have a friend ask you this question, what if they broke the law? is to call the police. That's what you should do. If they broke the law, they will have to stand in front of two courts, you and the government. And while you may choose to pardon them, the government may not choose to pardon them. And that may provide a little bit of a feel-good thing for you, right? I get that. In terms of I choose not to you know, hold you accountable to your actions, but you're going to jail. So, you know... And that can feel really good. I get it. That's a whole nether. We got to talk about that because that's, that's, called, that's called malice. I want something bad for you to happen, right? So we, we talk about how that should not play into the life. But, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm not excusing them being like, hey, you know what? We're going to tuck it all underneath the rug here. We're not going to really deal with it. And you need to get over it. That's not, 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 not what I'm saying. I want your future to be not drugged down by your past. And so I think you should choose to pardon, which is not excuse them for what they did, to say you're guilty. You are guilty as charged. I'm choosing not to hold you accountable. Now, they may hold you accountable, and if they do, then that's their prerogative. Now, a couple of quick thoughts, and, and I'm finishing this up. <clears throat> this, is, this is not easy. So the first thing I want to mention is you should go first so you can go on. You should go first so that you can go on because there's a temptation to hear a message like this and to be like, this is really good. I need to do it. And I've been struggling. And I've been harboring bitterness and resentment and anger and malice towards this person. And if they will come to me, I am now in a position to say, I will forgive you. Here's the thing. They are not going to come to you most likely, right? They haven't. They probably won't. It's probably not going to happen. And even if they do, it'll never 
play out the way that you think it plays out in your mind because you've rehearsed this scenario over and over and over and over again. They come to you begging and pleading. Remember like that movie, The Christmas Story with the leg lamp? Remember him and he walks in, he's blind with the cane and they're like, what happened? What happened? Oh, you fed me with soap and the soap checked my eyes out, blah, 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 blah. And he's smiling as they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. And we laugh and it's, an, it's a funny, ironic moment because we know as you mature and get older in life, you've lived life long enough to know that kind of thing never happens to you. Nobody comes back on their knees pleading and begging the way we want to do it, the way that we would want them to do it. It just doesn't happen. And in those moments, we, we, play, we rehearse these things in our mind, and we say the exact right thing in such a way that it's like this massive burn. If anybody else was with us, they'd be like, oh, and they'd be like, oh, I feel so bad. And we're like, see, shouldn't have messed with me, right? And so we play that out in our minds, and it never works out like that. I'm just telling you, man, don't, don't fall into that. Don't, you go first, because going on is more important than giving even. You go first so you can go forward with this. It's never going to happen. Even if it did, they wouldn't, uh, they're not even fully aware of how and how much they probably hurt you. This is what you find out later on. You know, the, the older you are, you realize that even when people do come back and be like, man, I'm so sorry for hurting you. They have no idea how and how much it actually stung and how, mu- how much it affected you. So you go first, you can go on. And then a super specific application you should make a list of what they owe you. Now, you may never show them this list, and I'd recommend probably not showing them this list. But when somebody sins against you that requires your forgiveness, you make a list. Because you can forgive them generally, and that feels really good, right? But it really doesn't sink in until you forgive them specifically. Here is what you took from me you took because of the way that you chose to be a father, my childhood innocence. Because of the way that you chose to live in uh, and uh, chose to um, operate in a, in a relationship, you stole from me the opportunity to tuck my child in every night to bed. Now, I've got them every other week and every holiday that deals with dead presidents and, you know, I don't know, something else. And now it's all this like stupid, stupid game and it's so dumb and this is not what I dreamed it up as. You write that specifically out. You took away my reputation. You took away my ideal career. You took away my, uh, my, my you, you took advantage of my abilities and my effort to, for your own personal benefit. You took something that was mine. You made it yours. And now you have reached success and I'm back here not experiencing the success that I think I deserve. You make it specific. And what you'll discover if you do this, if you decide to take the hard step of actually writing it down and making a list, not to show to them, but for your own personal benefit, you will find out that most of what they took from you, they can't pay you back anyways. How do you repay back childhood innocence? You cannot, you, and they cannot, so what it essentially is, is you're, you're holding them, you're holding a debt over their heads that they can't even pay back if they wanted to. So then a natural follow-up question that you never want to hear in the moment, but again, I would never bring it up over coffee, but I'll bring it up here because we're talking about this somewhat objectively. 
How ridiculous to spend your whole life waiting to be paid back something that cannot be paid back. Have you thought through that? How ridiculous it is? Now, I'm not saying you're ridiculous because you're hurting. And it makes sense in your mindset because the emotional temperature of your life is so high right now. I'm just saying you're holding over their head a debt that they can't possibly repay. That's not, it's not that it's unfair of you. You're, you're not being unfair to them. You're being unfair to yourself because you're not allowing the space to be able to move on from that. And you're allowing this thing to fester and continue to affect you in your future relationships. And I so badly want you to be good at beginnings. And you'll never be good at beginnings unless you deal with your past. Now, here's the thing. Here's the last caution as, you, as, you're, as we finish up. What I'm asking you to deal with is all of the things that happen to you outside. You'll never be able to deal with all of this until you start with this. This is why this was week two and this is week four. Because until you own up to your own piece of it, you'll never have the fortitude, the mental fortitude, the emotional fortitude of any of that to be able to actually release it. It'll continue to linger and continue to linger and continue to linger. And I so badly want you to be good at new beginnings and at fresh beginnings. So we own it. We own our peace. We rethink it. What was I thinking in that moment? And then we release it. We choose the difficult, emotionally painful path of forgiveness, the emotionally painful path of pardoning, not even for their sake, but for mine. Why and how? How am I enabled to do this? Because it's already been done for me. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Father, we pray and ask for, well, first of all, we're so thankful for the grace that we, has been extended to us. And as we participate in communion, may, that, may your love of us, in spite of our attitude towards you, whether overt or passive, or we're not even aware of it sometimes, we don't even know, but we're so thankful for your grace in our life. Help us to be dispensers of grace as we have been recipients of grace as well. And that takes place through the pers- interpersonal relationships that we have, especially against those who have caused us a lot of pain and hurt us in the past. And so whether it's a specific thing that we can think of or just a general attitude that we need to develop in our life, God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.